Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the DLC Drop Podcast. Today my guest is Kai Browning. Kai is the director of esports for US Sports Camps. And he's going to share his story about starting an esports org in college, his experience throughout the industry, and how US Sports Camps is providing value for youth in gaming and esports. Let's talk to Kai. Drop in the untold stories of industry leaders, influencers, and insights on future innovation. I'm John Davidson, and this is the DLC, DLC Drop, Drop Podcast. Podcast. All right, I'm excited to have Kai Browning join me on the DLC Drop Podcast today. Welcome, my friend. How are you doing? Doing well. It was 70 degrees yesterday, and now it's snowing. So, I mean, we've got that going for us in Southwest Missouri. But other than that, everything's all peachy. peachy <laughs> Sounds king. like you're in Texas. That's how the they say, if you don't like the weather in Texas, wait 10 minutes. And so yeah. that has proved to be true through the <clears throat> nine years that I've been here. But the reason you're here is to talk esports. I'm super excited to share your story and your your learnings, your insights with the audience. So you're somebody who you're not very old. You haven't had a super long career just yet, but you've had a significant career in the esports industry. And that goes all the way back to your college days. Why don't you tell us how that started at Utah Valley University? Yeah, well, thanks. Thanks first off for having me. I'm always glad to to hang out and, and to 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 chat with you. But yeah, going back to the beginning, 2000, I want to say 2013, 2012. I think that's when I transferred to Utah Valley, 2013. I was going to school. I was doing one of those like Tuesday, Thursday, where you kind of just like cram all of your classes into what, two days. <laughs> I know very well. Right? <laughs> yeah. But by, by consequence of that, I had like this four hour gap in between. Like I had, I had two sets of morning classes and then two afternoon classes. And then I had this like four hour block in between that I, I was living 45 minutes away from home. I was taking the train. So I wasn't going to take the train back home. So I would just spend time on campus, do homework. I was doing homework in the library one of these days and like the back two rows of the library's computers and there's about 50 computers. So the last, I would say probably 10 or 15 computers, everyone is playing League of Legends. Oh, wow. I'm like, what the heck is, what's going on? And I recently got into League of Legends at the time and and, and saying that I got into it in 2013 is kind of, you know, blasphemy because most people got into it, you know, 2009, 2010, 2011. But anyways, I, I get into it and I just started asking around, I was like, so what's, what's the deal? You know, like, are you guys part of a club? Are you guys playing together? Like what, like, no, you know, that kid over there, he's got a flash, dri- flash drive, you know, grab it, install it on your computer and you can play for as long as you want. I wow. go, so like, no one's playing with each other. They're like, nope. It's like, okay. Wait, they were um, all playing separately? They were playing separately. Like no one was queued together. No one was no in the way. same lobbies. They were wow. just all like 15, 20, 15, kids were just all playing League of Legends at the same time, you know, per their own schedule. And it was just, it was a really weird concept to me. But I was just like, okay, cool. Like I, I started doing it. And then I started like trying to invite myself into other people's games, or like try to get people to play together. And they're like, what are you doing? Uh, <laughs> you were that guy. Yeah. And I was just like, this is so weird. But like, again, I was living about an hour outside of campus. And this was kind of like my social college life. I was married already at the time. Yeah. And so like, I was just trying to you know, make friends at that point. And so uh, kind of as a, a, as a history lesson, I come from live events. So I come from, you know, I've, pre-COVID, I spent 13 years producing live events, everything from weddings and school dances to trade shows and conventions. And so I was like, well, if there's, if there's at least 10 kids or 15 kids on campus that are playing pretty much every Tuesday and Thursday, there's got to be other kids. 
Right. And again, I was using it more at the time as kind of a, a self-gratifying thing of like, I want to make friends. And if I want to make friends, then I'm going to make this gaming club. And so that's what I did. I, I went to the, the student council or the student body or whatever it was called um, and said, you know, what do I need to do to create a club on campus? And they gave me the constitution and the bylaws and all the things that you need to do. And fairly easy. I, I needed six kids to sign this charter and I needed a faculty advisor. Getting the six kids to sign was actually harder than finding a faculty advisor. Well, you can but, just go to that back row and get signatures between games. Well, no one wanted to do it because they're like, well, we don't want to be associated with some sort of gaming club. Like we don't want to have to commit time and resources to do it. And I'm just like, but why? Like you're spending, like <laughs> I'm spending four hours a day here in the library. Like you're all probably spending the same amount of time. Like, why? and so again, doing finding it. a faculty just, advisor was way easier than yeah. getting six kids to sign this constitution thing. They're like, we're doing um, it. We just don't want to have to do it. Exactly. No, that's exactly the conversation. It was like, uh, <laughs> I like playing, but I don't want to have to play. I was like, okay, whatever. That's so anyways, fine. also kind of in kind of conjunction of all of that was we couldn't be the League of Legends Club because that was a trademark thing. And per our bylaws, we couldn't use trademark names as part sure. of club names. So we were just the esports club. And at the time, esports was kind of a still relatively new term. And so when we when we did our first kind of club rush on the quad, you know, people would come by like, oh, esports club, do you play StarCraft? We're like, Sure. Do you play, I'm trying to think of some like the old games back in 2013. Do you play Heroes of New Earth? They're like, yeah. Do you play Dota? Yeah. You know, it was, it was, it was more, again, at the time for me, it was, it was self-gratifying. I was like, I just want to make friends and get anybody and everybody involved. And that's kind of what I did for the first, I'd say probably year or two. We had some LAN parties and I kind of, you know, got more people involved and kind of built a, a presidency that kind of helped run stuff. Cool. But at the end of it, I, I really realized that, that there was more there than just playing video games. Like video games served a purpose. It, and, and, and at the time it was to bring people together yes. to have kind of this safe place to feel comfortable. Like there are so many times where, you know, we would do a social or like a land party and, you know, people would come and, and it was the first time living away from home and they didn't know anybody and they'd come and be like, well, I like video games. And so, you know, I can meet other video gamers. Right. and you know, there's a, there's a couple of instances where like two freshmen show up to the opening social at the beginning of of fall semester, they meet each other. And then every semester after that, they're roommates for their college career and they're, you know, they're best friends and and best mans in each other's weddings and, and things like that. And then, you know, it served other purposes too. Like we had an individual that came through the program that was on the spectrum. He compete he tried out and competed on our varsity program and you know the school and his parents loved it because we were teaching him life skills that he would normally learn but he was learning them in a setting that he was comfortable in cool it it does because he learned them so much faster or easier than you know if he you know had to be forced to order his own meal at mcdonald's or something like that right and so Again, where I was at Utah Valley, there's a handful of other schools, you know, within an hour of each other. You have BYU, you have Utah Valley University, which is where I went. You have University of Utah. There's some other smaller schools like Newmont University. Then there's uh, Utah State, which is up in Logan. And then you can go wait, you know, way down south to St. George and do it. So anyways, you know, we were in a very small pool, collectively speaking, of like college organizers. And so we worked together. The poster right above my head right there is an invitational uh, 
event that we created between all of the colleges that had collegiate programs at the time. Yeah. And it was like a pseudo Olympics, right? So like if you didn't have a team in a specific game, you just didn't compete, but you were like getting points for the amount of, of where you placed in the tournament and stuff like that. And that was really fun to like bring, you know, six different organizations together of, again, the varying degrees of, of success, right? University of Utah at the time was probably the best program in the area. And then like BYU, as far as like student government and student club, it was non-existent, but their teams were really, really good. And so it was this really weird kind of mix of different organizations, but that was like a collective, like, we're all going to put aside our differences. It doesn't matter where you're coming from. It's, you know, we're here at the end of the day to compete and to have fun and to learn and grow and stuff like that. And so that was, that was a blast to kind of learn that again, kind of really honing into my experience in, in live events and, and helping produce that show. From there, I, I also produced a, a tabletop and, and, uh, board game video game and board game convention called salt lake gaming con yeah that then you know got acquired and, and worked with the salt lake comic con convention of the area and then for the last five years or five-ish years pre-covid uh, i worked for a company called x live and we produced a trade show and conference one for live event executives so like how to share best practices of how to produce live events but then the other event that we did was an esports conference dedicated to educating non-endemic organizations or organizations that weren't currently or or are currently in esports of like how to get into esports and, yeah and i've spent, been to that you know, one a few times and that's a great event. Yes, you have. Yeah. And thank you. And so right now, I don't really know what the future of X-Live is just because COVID happened and, and I'm no longer with that team. Uh, but it was a really great opportunity and experience for me just to kind of sit with people like yourself. I believe when when we got connected originally, you were still with GameStop. Right. And, you know, I met with, you know, other individuals in the space, team owners, brands, agencies, you know, anybody that anyone that wanted to try to get in the space or that were already in the space and just talk about them, you know. ESL, CSL, uh, again, great people. It was a really interesting kind of perspective that I grew about the the overall esports ecosystem through those years because, you know, I got to talk to the publishers and the tournament organizers and the team owners. And at the end of the day, kind of put all the pieces together and, and say, okay, this is what the real state of the space is. And this is what we need and, 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 you know, what we need to grow and things like that. And so, you know, COVID was not kind to me or to most of the live event industry. But again, by kind of consequence of running the shows, I met Justin Holveller, who is the CEO of US Sports Camps. And, you know, he reached out to me last year and said, hey, we're, we're, we're interested in starting an esports vertical. Is that something you might be interested in, in kind of helping us develop and run? And, and I said, I'd be, be happy to, you know, coming from the college space and seeing the direct impact of video games yeah. and esports and kind of like a community aspect to, to be able to go back to kind of like, direct touch points of, you know, directly influencing youth and gamers. Like I was so excited and, and so happy to kind of get back into the space. That was the one thing that, you know, working in the convention side of, of esports and gaming is like, there's a little bit of a disconnect, at least for me. Right. Uh-huh. And this isn't to say anything bad about the general trade show convention network, but to me, it was like, we're talking, you have money and dollars kind of in conversation at these conventions and trade shows, but it never really trickled down back to the consumer. Right. Oh, and and yeah. that was what I loved so much about doing the club stuff and doing the convention, the gaming convention was like, you could directly see the influence of that, right? Like a kid came to the convention and they had, you could see a smile on their face. True. Right. 
or a gamer, a college kid came to one of the events that we ran and, you know, you could see that they're having a good time at a, at a trade show. It's, you know, you come for a purpose, you're, you're coming to learn or you're coming to, to do business. Right. And so that direct influence really wasn't there. And again, I loved every minute that I worked uh, in that industry, but I, I'm even more excited to be where I am now with us sports camps. And, and because of that direct influence of like, I can have a direct influence in the development of youth in a positive factor in the gaming and esports space. Right. And I think it's, it's tremendous how you've taken that passion and I can see throughout your career journey, how you've wanted to bring people together. You've recognized how social gaming is. You've used it as a tool for inclusion for not only like-minded people, but it sounds like people who are kind of on the fringe that, you know, could use some friendship, could use some camaraderie, and gaming is a, a great way to provide that. Tell the audience what U.S. Sports Camps is, and then I want to dive into what you're doing from an esports perspective. For sure. Yeah, so U.S. Sports Camps is just that. It's, it's a sport camp provider. And so we work with universities and other educational institutions and facilities across the U.S. and Canada, and we provide sport camp experiences throughout the summer utilizing, you know, the university's facilities and things like that, you know. And so <clears throat> what we're doing specifically in the esports space is more or less kind of doing the same thing, providing esport camp experiences to a demographic. I, I think there are more opportunities to go pro in esports through a variety of different reasons, means, I should say. You know, you look at Bugga, right? He was a 16-year-old kid that, you know, made a lot of money in one year. Um, yeah, he won the again, Fortnite he, World Cup. He did. And it's one of those things of, you know, yes, he was signed to a team at the time, but it, it was like Fortnite's really not a team game, right? Similar, dissimilar to like a League of Legends or a Rocket League where you're having to work closely together with, yeah. with another, you know, other teammates. And so, you know, the opportunities, again, going pro on a variety of different levels through amateur leagues or through, you know, professional franchise leagues like CDL or, or Overwatch League or, or League of Legends are more. And I think we're kind of to that point where I, I would go out and venture that I'd say a large majority of the, the general populace has at least heard of esports. Or, or, I mean, if you brought it up in conversation, it wouldn't be that shocking as it was like yeah. when I started, you know, 2012, 2013 and started talking to people about esports. Like, so you're playing video games? Like, yeah. So, like, Madden? You're like, no, but <laughs> sure. Don't um, tell the NFL that. <laughs> Yeah, right. But I mean, like, even now, like when I was in the college space, like I was really kind of diehard on like, esports is its own thing, esports, 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 and just kind of learned over the years that it just doesn't really matter. Like at the end of the day, like, especially from like, an a brand that's looking at it, kind of coming in, like, they don't care if it's esports or video games, like they just want the demographic, they want that younger demographic that can, you know, interact with their brand. And they right. don't care if, if they're supporting a, a pro team or a content creator, it's all the, the all same thing to them. And so, you know, that's what I'm also trying to educate within our team internally is, you know, gaming and esports is kind of a synonymous term for me, at least, because, you know, we're impact. It, it, it's a demographic. It's a group of people that act a certain way under certain restrictions or certain conditions. And, and we're also trying to take that same mentality into some of our camp offerings, right? So we offer traditional esport title camps like Rocket League camp and Fortnite camp and, and League of Legends camp. But then we also offer things like content creation camps or shout casting camps. 
where again, they're not directly esports, but they're tangential and they impact kind of the overall ecosystem or support staff, if you will, of a, kind of the esports market. And so, you know, just being really conscious of trying to understand this is a growing space. You know, I've had conversations with some organizations six months ago, and they're different conversations today just because of how quickly esports changes or, or pivots and things like that. And so that's what I really like about it is like, yes, it's esports, but you know, it changes almost daily about who's getting in the space, you know, what's popular, what's not popular. Like, again, middle of COVID, Among Us and Fall Guys were like the big thing. Right. Uh, people still play them, but I don't think at the same degree as they did when they, you know, launched originally. And so just really kind of having the finger on the pulse of kind of what falls in and out of grace, if you will, and and kind of being involved and trying to understand, you know, what are popular titles, what has kind of the longest longevity and what, what are kids playing and, and what, you know, makes the most sense from a parent's perspective to kind of get them involved. Yeah. And with Fall Guys and Among Us, those are, you know, maybe not even esports titles, right? You could say, okay, they're competitive to a point, but what is an esport? My definition of an esport is a competitive video game that has enough of a following and the infrastructure to have professional teams and leagues. And to your point, you know, you're talking earlier about, you know, gaming and esports kind of being the same thing. And I think for people who are unfamiliar in our audiences, every esports enthusiast, you could say, is a gamer, but not every gamer is into esports, right? Not every gamer is playing competitive games. What I see as the reason that esports, at least in the US over the last four or five years, has really blown up is because non endemic brands see that every single kid is playing video games and they say, wait, how do I interact with that outside of a two week promotion and a two day video game release event? And then they see esports. And of course, they see those big, those arenas full in Poland. <laughs> and they think that's every esports event. But what else they see is they see familiar sponsorable assets. And they say, oh, wait, teams, leagues, content, jerseys. I see, I see places I can integrate, put my logo, branded mm-hmm. content. I've done this before. But what they don't understand is that it doesn't work the same way in esports as it does in traditional sports. That number one, young people demand more from brands. But number two, my whole standpoint that I try to convey to everybody is you have to enhance the experiences of the community. You have to provide meaningful things that are better than when your brand wasn't there yet. Can you talk a little bit about what you've seen, whether it's a sponsorship play or whether it's just things that you see the community responding to where brands can step in and provide things to the community that are meaningful? Yeah, I mean, I I think that's really relevant what you just shared. And and thanks for asking the question, right? Like, what I think, what I think brands fail to understand that are like outside looking in is they they see the the arenas that are full, they see these teams, they see these familiar responsible assets. Again, if you're, you know, doing direct parallels between traditional sports and esports. But at the same time, you know, I have friends that play League of Legends or play Overwatch all the time, but they know nothing about the professional scene. 
Right. right. And I think that's that's the big disconnect is like, yes, you have games like Fortnite or like League of Legends or Overwatch that are very, very successful in and of itself. But like the esports operation is, is not so much. Right. It's still trying to grow. It's still trying to produce revenue to the extent of, of something similar to like the NFL or the NBA or something like that. Right. But when when I've talked and, and worked and, and advised with brands that are looking to get in the space, the number one question I ask is why? what is the reason why you want to get into esports? Is it because you want a slice of this $1 billion evaluation that everybody puts out on, on esports and you want a cut of that? Right. Or do you have a service or product that can fill a void, right? right. You know, and, and one of my favorite activations and probably the most, I don't want to say authentic because I think that term gets overused, especially referring to esports activations. I'm using one the term. The most, I'm using organic until that's aged out, and then we'll have to find and, another. Yeah, one. well, I, I almost said organic, but I also <laughs> use that term now way too much because I've used that as the direct Same. replacement for authentic. <laughs> Maybe purposeful is is a go. good kind of uh, replacement right now. But one of my f- most favorite activations that I think was just so thought thought out and just so well placed it was copenhagen 2000 and i want to say 18 or 19 blast pro series so it had to been 19 i believe and again don't quote me on the dates but anyways denmark copenhagen blast pro series call of duty or sorry csgo events it, Mc- it was mcdonald's right i don't know if you've talked about it on the podcast or not not yet but mcdonald's was not a sponsor of the event they they've been kind of uh, in gaming but not in gaming at the same time like in yeah. esports specifically but not but again they weren't sponsoring the team they weren't sponsoring the event all they did was place ads at the train stop where most people were getting off which was just outside of the arena of ads for McDonald's but what they did different than a, a normal ad is they used terminology from CSGO like full right. buy eco round things like that and so like me as a CSGO someone coming to watch CSGO and I'm seeing this you know marketing thing that is not in my face like oh you know if if this team scores this many points you know everyone gets a free whopper like they do at <laughs> you know at basketball games right or i guess in this case it'd be a big mac because we're talking about mcdonald's but again they get off the train they see this mark this this mcdonald's advertising like oh mcdonald's cool whatever and then they see the terminology from csgo and they're like oh like this person knows that i'm coming here and, and i yeah. know where i'm going for lunch now right and I, I, again, I've yet to see, I'm trying to think real quickly because you're sort of putting me on the spot, but I, I, I can't think of any other activation that has happened since then that has been so true to the esports brand, right? Like it was, yeah. kids got to eat lunch at some point, right? Like I'm going to an event and my options are go off campus of wherever it is and, and eat somewhere or I'm eating and, and paying, you know, 30%, 40% more for, you know, arena food. Uh, <laughs> right. Or I can step out and go to McDonald's or Burger King or whatever it is. And like, again, they knew that they had a product that would get used because people get hungry and they just spoke the language. And, and I, again, to yeah. this day, I think it's one of the most organic and most thoughtful activations in the esports space. Well, and it's it's one that's not particularly requiring a ton of heavy lifting either. And that's not a super expensive campaign. And I always say, you know, strategy is more expensive than spend, you know, like allocating a ton of money 
esports strategy. I mean, hey, if you have it, please bring that to our industry. We'd love to utilize it. <laughs> but, you know, it's not the more dollars you're spending, the better that you're going to do necessarily. And I think in the, the McDonald's example, which is a great one, number one, they were speaking the language that the gamers mm -hmm. speak. And it's a subculture, right? So this is, there's, you know, norms of our culture that we know that like, if you know, you know, you know, for gamers by gamers. Now, you have to be very careful if you're someone like yep. McDonald's that you're not coming in. Hello, fellow kids. And you say something wrong and they're like, hey, oh. fellow gamers. Yeah. It's like there's Boomer McDonald's trying to speak my language and, yep. you know, tripping all over it. But in this case, they did it very well. And what I would say is what they provided in that scenario was validation, you know, and we talked about with your collegiate experience that there were people who are underrepresented or maybe left on the sidelines of traditional sports or other mainstream activities. And so something that this community really responds to is validation saying you are worthy. We recognize you, you know, to be just as significant as everybody else. We value you. And when you can provide that in a way that is on target with this audience, they're going to embrace your brand and champion you more than others because a lot of other communities are used to it, right? You're, they kind of take it for granted. Like, oh yeah, of course you're, of course you want my money. Well, gamers don't just want, respond to everybody who wants their money, of course. But when you take the time to listen and your intentions are right, then that's going to result in rewarding your brand. Absolutely. Which is why, you know, I, I just want to reiterate, like, again, when I, when I talked with brands or, or again, non-endemic organizations that are wanting to get into esports, the very first question I always ask is why, like, what is, what is the, the driving factor behind this, this, you know, interest in esports, right? Cause if you're only doing it for the money, like, yeah, I hate to tell it to you, like the money's not there yet. Right. Like it's right. still a, a new thing it's it, it we're still kind of trying to figure out where the money and revenue lies so if, if that's what you're there for like you know you might as well wait a couple of years before it really gets figured out but if you're here because you want to provide value you want to provide you know improvements or or whatever it is like let's welcome and again mcdonald's is a great example because it was just like i felt included i felt listened to and heard i think t-mobile did an, another good example of like when they offered you know if you're on the t-mobile network they're not going to charge you if you stream lcs or overwatch league yeah you're like okay cool like I, i'm not going to change phone providers phone carriers just to do that but it's a, it's a cool value add right like if i am a member of t-mobile then sweet now i'm not getting charged for streaming services but again i think it, the right intention was there but again it wasn't really like outside of the and i'm not saying everything has to be outside of the box but it was like oh well we already offer this for traditional sports like why don't we just offer this for you know esports and stuff because it's you know mainly online yeah and i would say too i think I think the industry or the community, I should say, rewards the brands that come in earlier who do it right rather than those who would wait just from the standpoint that the like brands who have been in esports for five years now are more well accepted because it's like, okay, you came in for the community before it was cool. Everybody who's arriving now, there's a higher level of skepticism because it's like, yeah, I know you want my money along with everybody else. Where you been? So I call it kind of a healthy skepticism with our community because when you pass the smell test and they see that your intentions are right, that you have a long-term strategy, 
that you're not in it. Of course, you're in it to make money. That's why you sponsor things. That's why you partner things with things is because you're going to make more money than if you didn't or if you did it elsewhere, right? So we need to recognize like the business reasons. But once you, what I'm trying to get across is there's a higher level of skepticism if you do wait those few years because then it's going to be even further down the line of, you know, why weren't you in, interested in supporting me? Yeah, I, I think it just comes down to like understanding that it, it definitely is the long play, right? Like yeah. it's not this this overnight success. There are some brands that have been in the space for a long time now that are, that have been non-endemic brands that you can sort of consider endemic now that I still just don't think need to be in the space. And I don't need to go down that road of naming those brands of off. Yeah. But there are definitely brands that have been there for a while. And you're just like, okay, cool. Like, uh, I, I'm still not going to buy your services. Like, I, I still don't understand the reason why you're here. Yeah. You know, I, I also laugh every time I see a new automobile sponsor of a sports team or, or a tournament. Yeah. Because it's just like, if you really understand kind of the demographic of, of a gamer, you know, you're looking at that 18 to 25 year old male that is in college or, or whatnot. They usually don't own their own car. They're usually taking Ubers and Lyfts everywhere. And so like, to me, it just screams like a huge disconnect between like, you know, Mercedes, why are you entering the space or BMW? Why are you like, me as some 18 year old punk kid, like I don't have 70 grand to drop on a car. Sure. Right. Like again, for me, I think it's fine because I think those, those entities are to the point that you made earlier is like, they're seeing familiar, you know, marketable assets. Yeah. They're seeing things. Oh, okay. This is, uh, I can draw parallels to traditional sports and things like that. But I think there's just a real disconnect of like who the actual audience is. Right. You know, I, I love and I loved and hated the the Louis Vuitton activation for League of Legends World Championship until I kind of understood and realized it more that it was more for the global scale as opposed to uh -huh. just like the US for like LCS. Because like if you look at kind of the core demographic of a League of Legends audience, it's it's pred primarily and predominantly Asians, right? China sure. and Korea and stuff like that. Yeah. And they're very all about high fashion brands. Right. And so that made a lot more disconnect. But at, again, first glance, I'm like, ah, oh, that just doesn't really make sense. Like I'm not the audience that they're definitely marketing to. And then you kind of realize like, oh yes, like, uh, you know, Hong Kong, Macau, Seoul, they're all about high fashion. They're all about name, you know, designer brands and things like that. So it made a little bit more sense. Yeah. Um, but off the cuff, you know, you're just like, eh, I don't know if that makes the most sense. Here, here's what I, where I would challenge you on the, the car brands, which is my question. Okay, let's do it. Is if you do, you know, if you, maybe they do have a long-term perspective and sure. it's an aspirational perspective. And so our points of you need a long-term strategy is that they're marketing to people now. So they build that positive sentiment and affinity. So when these gamers are business professionals and are able to afford a 50, 60, $70,000 car, then maybe they say, oh, you were messing with me back then. I'm going to mess with you now. No, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that, uh, that perspective as well. Right. And, and, Again, a lot of these these specific to automobile deals, right? They're so new. Like it, it's so right. hard to say that they're in it for the long term, right? Because of course, you know, most of these deals have only been around for a year or two, most you know, tops. Right. Time um, will tell. Exactly. Time will tell. But again, I do think there are some automobile brands that have done a better job at like creating marketable assets, like 
ads that you know run either during games or like that are pre-roll between you know youtube videos or whatever that are like more catered to a gamer i think some of them have done really well but again you're absolutely right they could be they could be in it for the long haul excuse me and we just don't know yet because we we just haven't seen a partnership last that long yeah, who knows? Um, I, haven't, I haven't been in those strategy discussions, so I can't say. Um, I haven't. Yeah, again, I, I haven't been in those <laughs> strategy discussions either, so I can't say one way or the other. But uh, again, just kind of looking at the, the, I'd love to see an Uber or Lyft kind of get in the space. Like, I think that's for someone that has a product that it gets used a lot by people like that. Right. You know, it makes sense to, to see something like that. I think you're right. And I think something that we're talking about here that a lot of people overlook when it comes to sponsorship is, and that, I understand this as a skateboarder as well as a gamer is I don't think we're as fearful of brands coming into the space as brands leaving the space. And yep. what's behind my theory here is we've, we see how significant partnership dollars are in this space, right? And it's the majority of revenue right now. It's decreasing a little bit over time as monetization is figured out. But back in the day, it was even a bigger piece of the revenue. And so almost the entire industry or at least one title would rise and fall as a result of a big player getting in the space. And so it's like, okay, big brand comes in, we're doing Madden tournaments, we're competing at Dallas Cowboys Stadium, playing on the Jumbotron. Hey, mom and dad, I have an opportunity to make money doing what I love and the thing you told me was hopeless or, or was a dead end, right? And then, oh, the tournament organizers have been grinding forever. They got hired by this big company and look, now I'm paying my bills. I'm making a living doing this. I have a future doing this. And then guess what? A new CMO comes in, different strategy, moves the dollars away and everybody's out of jobs and those opportunities are gone. And then another big brand comes in this space and it's the same. It's like, oh, here we go. By the time a third brand comes in, it's like, hold up. How long are you going to be around? Because we don't know if we want to let you in in the first place, if you're just going to leave the moment you get what you want out of us. No, I, I think that's a that's a super valid point. Is like, again, it, it goes back to the original kind of topic of discussion. Is like, is why are these brands getting in the space in the first place? Right, right. And if the purpose is to to serve a greater purpose, then great. Then then you see the the long term value. You understand that you know we're going you're gonna have to be writing off a lot of stuff, or just know that you're gonna go into the red for a little bit until it all gets figured out. And if you're okay with that. Right. If you have other entities or other platforms that are kind of subsidizing the cost of esports, then perfect. Right. But I think that's that's the other issue is, you know, you have a, a big brand or a big agency or someone wants to get in the space and they hire one guy. Right. And then that one guy is responsible for the entire esports strategy <laughs> of like what a team of 10 or 20 people are normally doing. Right. And so then that person just gets burnt out or they just get this really negative kind of viewpoint and kind of like corporate non-endemic in esports, and there's like oh this just doesn't make sense but i agree with you is like i am more fearful for brands leaving the space than than i am for new brands entering the space like again i think if you have smart people in your marketing departments because again at the end of the day esports is just a demographic it's it's a group of people that act a certain way under certain conditions and i've mentioned yeah. that before it's youth marketing um, Exactly. And so if you understand how to market to uh, X demographic, then you know how to market to Y demographic. And esports is just a demographic within that. And so if you have a smart team and, and know, you know, hey, this is how we need to market and do that kind of stuff, th then I'm not worried there. But if again, if you're just 
creating a division because it's the, you know, it's the new best thing, right? When I was with XLive and, and, and live events and, and producing trade shows and conferences around live events, the three big, the trifecta of like the new budget, the new technologies would be cannabis, cryptocurrency, and esports. Those are like, if you've included any of those in any of the, the topics of uh, uh, panel topics, like those are the most attended just because like those are the the buzzwords of, of the era and they still sort of are. And so again, if you're just creating the division because everyone else is doing it and you just don't really know why you're doing it, it's just not going to succeed. And I think you're also at the same time kind of doing a disservice to individuals that have that, you know, kids that are about to graduate or just trying to make their break into the esports space, like, oh, hey, we're going to hire you on to, to run this whole division or to do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And then, you know, they're out of a job in six months because it didn't, you know, hit the KPIs that you had no idea, you know, you set way too high just because you didn't understand the market or, or what you were doing. And so, like, I, I feel bad for anybody that has kind of been in that scenario where they work for either like a startup or a company that, a big company or a small company that, you know, is interested in esports and then it just doesn't make revenue or is as successful as they want it to be in whatever, you know, hypotheticals that they came up with. And so like, all right, well, it's not successful in three months or six months or a year, like it, right. time to shut it down. And you're just like, but, but why? <laughs> yeah. And I've been in a couple of those roles, kind of being the, the one dude doing esports at uh, a couple big companies and, you know, sometimes you have the support there and the vision and the understanding that, you know, this is a long-term play and sometimes you don't. I think uh, a key for our audience, people are trying to figure this out is number one is listen to the audience, you know, go and take the time to listen and learn. It's not a bunch of scary people. It's just a bunch of people who are a little skeptical at first until they find yep. out that you have the right reasons. And the other thing I think is set your expectations and your KPIs properly there's plenty of campaigns where marketing is a loss leader. Number one, mm -hmm. there's also plenty of campaigns where it's not directly tied to sales, where it's more of a brand marketing play where you want to build positive sentiment and affinity, maybe awareness for your brand as well, but don't try to tie that immediately to sales to start. Well, I want to, I want to wrap, put a bow on that and I want to get your, your take on a couple things. So what I'm really passionate about, I, I have a son who's six years old. And so, you know, he loves video games. You know, we're watching video games of this Jurassic World dinosaur video game. You know, this weekend he's fanning out of all the different crazy dinosaurs. Look at him fight. You know, obviously that's not an eSport. But what I'm trying to get to here is that every kid is going to be playing video games. So I have a vested interest. I know a lot of other parents do. How are video games, eSports, both competitive and non- how are they positive for my child? You know, what are you guys doing at U.S. sports camps that is positioning it in a way that's positive, both regarding the gameplay, but also the careers that you're enabling people to see the vision and then develop those skills moving forward? Yeah, no, the great question. And I'm glad that your son is, you know, involved. My son, about the same age, he'll be seven this year and, and is all about Minecraft and Roblox. And, you know, he he'll drive the, the cars in practice mode and in, in, in rocket league. Yeah. He wants to play Fortnite with me so bad. I just don't want to have to carry him or him carry me. <laughs> I, I don't know which one I, I I'm going to settle with at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, really what we're just trying, what we're, we're doing at us sports camps, especially in the esports space is at the end of the day, our core goal is to, to connect campers and kids with 
you know, coaches to improve their craft, whatever that might be, whether that's baseball, basketball, Minecraft, League of Legends, what have you. And so we do focus in competitive esports titles like Fortnite, Overwatch, League of Legends, Valorant. And then we have some like non-competitive esport titles like Minecraft. And then we also are offering some content creation and shoutcasting camps. And then we also have some coding programming as well that we, that we developed. Our, our entire curriculum is STEM accredited, which really helps in the kind of education process of parents. And then we've developed this curriculum with Logitech Gaming, sorry, Logitech G, and it's called the, the EPM, the Esports Performance Modules, based off of human elite performance, which is you know, a method that some Red Bull and Olympic athletes train under. But what it does is it focuses on all of the, the EPM specifically, focuses on all of these out-of-game influences that impact the gamer. Things like mm. making sure you're you know, drinking water and eating healthy, making sure that you, you know, get a full night's rest and you're sleeping you know, correctly, making sure that you know, you're mentally awake and you know, mentally ready to take on a day, whether that's winning or losing things like setting goals and communication and teamwork and leadership and things like, again, a lot of these soft skills that you would normally develop at any type of team programming camp, right? Like a baseball camp or a basketball camp, or even like a boy scout or a girl scout camp, right? Like you're going to learn kind of these, these soft skill traits or development. And then there are the actual in-game skill development, right? Where we have our coaches that are, you know, fairly, really high ranked that are then training these younger, you know, not so high ranked kids and how to improve and things to improve and, and drills to run at home and, and practice um, to get better at. And so again, at the end of the day, it's, it's really just to, to improve the overall ecosystem, the support uh, system within esports, especially now that like there's, when I was in college, you know, I mean, I, I think Robert Morris was the only university that offered a scholarship. Right now there's hundreds of universities across the U S that offer scholarships. And so like, you know, having parents know that there's an opportunity for their kid to go to school for free or subsidized by playing video, a video game, right? right. Like that, that's huge. And I mean, you made mention of it when you kind of kicked off this, this little segment, it was like the generation that's growing up now are just, they're so used to having a device in their hand. Right. Right. And when they're not doing school and they're not doing their after hours program or their after school programs, or they're not doing soccer or whatever it is, they're on a device, they're watching YouTube, they're playing video games, they're doing whatever. And so I think as, you know, people like us, right, are becoming parents now that kind of grew up as closet gamers, if you will, that, you know, esports and gaming is now kind of this part of this mainstream culture thing. We're like, oh, well, I need to provide for my kid because these opportunities weren't there for me when I was younger. But yeah, I, I, again, I think it's it, it's a great opportunity. We're definitely really just trying to keep our finger on the pulse and, and really trying to listen to both parents and campers of what makes the best camp experience right now um, because right. it's so new. There's not a lot of organizations that I'm aware of that offer esports or gaming camps. Right. And so just really trying to be cognizant of like, what do kids want to get better at? What do parents want their kids to get better at? And really just trying to, to make the best program. In 2020, due to COVID, you know, we, we pivoted our in-person camp experience to a purely virtual experience to much success. And then now kind of into 21 and beyond, as things start to open up, we're you know, going back to in-person camps and, and really trying to figure out what does that look like? You know, where does the virtual camps live within all of this? And you know, can we 
program. Again, historically, U.S. Sports Council has been a, a May to August type of business. Again, because we utilize college facilities, that's when no one's at college, right? right? And, and we can run camps there and use their dorms and their cafeteria and things like that. But, you know, because we're doing virtual camps, can we do, you know, fall programming? Can we do sure. winter programming, spring? And so it's really just allowing us to kind of look at business as a whole and seeing, you know, what, what things can we do differently? And, you know, again, I was a casualty of, of COVID through live events, but at the end of the day, I think COVID was kind of a benefactor to the overall ecosystem of live events because live events were done the same way for so long. Sure. And, it, and you needed something like COVID to come along to really make people think differently. And again, I don't think live events will go directly back to what it used to be. There's going to be some implementations, but I also think it forced people to think differently. And it's the same way at U.S. sports camps is we were doing business the same way for so long. And then COVID came along, you know, and we really had to figure out, okay, well, can, can we do things differently than we normally would? And I think everyone's really open to learning that experience too, just because there's a lot of unknowns still with COVID and whatnot. And so if you find the right partners and find the right facilities that are willing to work with you, I think, you know, that's where, where we'll be the most successful is, is just kind of, again, exploring these new, these new avenues of, of programming and camp experiences. Yeah, I think necessity is the mother of invention and COVID has definitely created this great necessity for a lot of different industries to figure stuff out. Camps, live events, conferences, obviously were probably hardest hit among those industries. I think it's going to be inter interesting to see the technologies that have been developed over the last year and how those are going to be implemented. I, I do think people are craving to get back in person. I agree. And so I, I think there's going to be people wanting to get back, but, you know, brands, technology, you know, one of the things about live events is the data aspect of it, that it can be a black hole for data a lot of times. And so, you know, there have been a lot of steps forward from that standpoint. And also just the ability to reach people globally when previously some events could only reach that local market, the people who are physically there. I think people have opened their minds to that as well. So that'll be super interesting. Uh, one no, thing I, I agree. I mean, and, and, and sorry for cutting you off there, but you know, when we did our virtual camps last year, this past in summer of 2022, we had kids from Malaysia and Iceland attend our camps. Yeah. And again, we only marketed them to people here in the U S but if you wanted to stay up late or, or wake up early to participate in camp, like we weren't stopping you. Right. And I, and again, I, I, that's what I love so much about gaming is, is it really you know, tears down walls as far as like regions or being able to connect with people. Because again, whether you're playing World of Warcraft or Minecraft or Mario or, or whatever it is, right? There's a common goal and you're playing with strangers to accomplish that common goal. And that's what I love so much about it is like, you're having to trust in some random stranger to make sure that you can all do the same thing at the end of the day. Well, that, that's another great positive aspect of gaming for youth is, is the teamwork aspect, right? And regardless of game, most of these games are team-based. At least a lot of them are. And the thing that I love so much about our community, it's similar to the skateboarding community as well. It has nothing to do with how good you are in the game. It has to do with, do you love what you're doing? Are you there for the right reasons? And so that really breaks down a lot of barriers, I think, when people can be intimidated of, oh, I'm not that good. I, you know, I don't know if I want to participate and things of that nature. What I've seen... First of all, Street Fighter is my game. I am not great at Street Fighter, but I love it, you know? 
And it's because I grew up with it. So, but, you know, just saying, hey, I'm here to play too, you know, because it's fun. Like that day breaks down those barriers of intimidation and then it gets kids to socialize, to include those who are kind of on the outer edge, like you were talking about with your, your college experience. And one thing I want to touch on as well, because it's something I haven't talked about yet. And I know this is in your, in your experience is fostering a gaming culture beyond just the competitive AAA titles. This can be, you know, a, a nugget of knowledge for people who are on college campuses or just trying to create something for kids to interact positively with video games. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. You know, I, I think people, and by people, I mean like brands and agencies trying to get into the space, right? They, they, they're seeing those, you know, League of Legends World Championships, Fortnite World Cups, these, these isolated events that happen once, maybe, you know, a handful of other times throughout the year right. that have these, you know, sold out arenas and all that kind of stuff, right? And they're seeing that and they're saying, yes, that's what we need to get into. But, you know, you look at something like, you brought up Street Fighter, right? The fighting game community. Yeah. The fighting game community acts completely differently than the League of Legends community, right? League of Legends right. has a franchised professional scene that also has like a, a triple A. I know you already used triple A, so I don't want to use that again, but like uh, a B series, a B league, right? Sure. Uh, built into it. But like fighting games, it's all pro-am, right? Like there's no professional teams that are playing against each other every single week. No, it's, there are these tournaments that happen throughout the year and anybody and anyone can go to them. Yeah. Uh, and I've been to a handful and I've, you know, gotten O2 and, you know, lost in pools, which is again, no surprise, yeah. but Same. I also got to play against professionals because of just how the seating worked and the pools that I got put in. Right. Right. And so, you know, I, I think it, it kind of just does people disservices if you just focus on, on the big, flashy, shiny, important, big title games, right? Right. Especially like if, if, if you're out there and you're listening and you're in like the college space or, or, or whatnot, like that was, that was the, and I don't think the problem has been solved. And I don't know if there's an institution that has figured it out quite yet. But like you have the pro, the, 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 the varsity level teams, right. That are competing and representing the university, which is, I don't know, five kids, right? Maybe right. six, if you have a sub, what about the other hundreds of kids on campus that play video games that like those same titles that just don't have the skills to compete on the pro team or the varsity team or don't want to, sure. um, like, how are you serving them? Right. And so, you know, that was the first, again, I learned a lot when I was doing the college stuff and like the first year or two, I was really trying to drive like these varsity teams, like let's get these varsity teams. Let's, let's get people representing the university. But then I also remember like, because there's no conferences, like we were always going against bigger schools that had more resources, had more student populations that were just better at the game. So we never did well to begin with. So then I was like, all right, well, we're not going to be good and get on the map by having a great team. So what else can we do? Yeah. Um, and so my then goal kind of pivoted and be like, okay, well, I just want to be the spot on campus to come and hang out anytime we have a party. It doesn't matter cool. who you are or what you are. Anytime we have a LAN event, everybody's invited. Yeah. Um, and we're going to make sure that we have something for everybody. And I remember one event that we did I don't remember how it happened, but the event somehow got populated on like Facebook events. 
And so there's this young couple, again, a college couple that were looking for something to do for date night. And they just looked on Facebook events and this popped up and they show up and they're like, is this, you know, the, this, this event? I was like, yeah, it is. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And they're like, so what's going on? And so I was kind of explaining to them, they're like, well, we brought our DSs. Can we hang out? I'm like, sure. Like we've got couches and plugs. We've got (laughs) drinks. We've got food, like come and hang out. Like, and if you want to play any other games that we're doing, like, let us know. And we can, like, we have extra computers and extra systems and whatever it is. And they're like, okay, thanks. They like, again, I thought they were going to like sit down and grab a piece of pizza and bounce. Like they were there for like three or four hours Wow! and they, you know, met some of the other people there. And it was just, it was just a really cool experience to see that. Like, again, it didn't matter what walk of life you came from. Like you were just there to to hang out. And, And that, again, it's hard because again, colleges are trying to drive it. And I'm speaking generally. So don't, again, don't hold me to anything that I'm saying right now, but colleges like to use esports as an admission driver, right? Well, we have this college, this varsity esports program, and you know, you can try out and get on the team. Okay, cool. That's five people, right? As opposed to a football team that has, you know, 60 kids, 80 kids, whatever it is. Right. And so again, you're alienating all these other people that are, that associate as gamers that are just looking for a place to have their own. And again, they don't, they don't care. Like, yes, they're competitive in some natures. I think we all are, but they don't, they don't care about the varsity team. And so it was just like, I always, you know, Hey, we're going to run tryouts. If you're interested, do this, yada, yada, yada. And then had team managers that ran all of that. But my core focus, the last couple of years when I was running the program was like, this needs to be the coolest place ever. And by the time I left, well, there was something like 700 active members of our program. Wow. It was the largest student-ran you know, club on campus. And it was like, that's cool. And again, having these experiences that I mentioned earlier, like freshmen becoming, you know, meeting their college roommate for life or like this individual that was on the spectrum and got to learn these life skills yeah. or this, this couple that came for date night and just kind of stayed for a while. Like, that is in to me is like the real benefit of gaming and, and the real importance of like not necessarily needing to focus on triple a culture. Like, right. It, it's going to be there. You're going to find people that, that like any big triple a title, but it's what about these other people that like, you know, at the time it would have been like, Heroes of the Storm or Smite. Smite's a really great example, right? Yeah. Of like a, a game that has been around for quite a while, but just has this very small devout following. Like you're not seeing a ton of like new players come through that scene, right? but it's still there and it still exists and people still watch it and there's still a world championship and whatnot. But like the amount of people that are interested in that are not as much as, you know, like a Dota or a League of Legends or an Overwatch. And so I, again, it's, it's to me, it's more about fostering a community of and and that was the other thing too is like we strayed away from doing like this is league of legends night and this is overwatch night because like we never got people to show up right then we just started doing open land parties and it was like Mm. okay everyone show up bring your computers and we'll just you know we'll do these random for fun tournaments of like tandem mode you know 1v1s where like one person controls the mouse one person controls the keyboard yeah whereas like it's competitive in a way but it's not like super competitive right excuse me and then it was like, it was also fulfilling that purpose of like, well, all the people playing League of Legends, let's do it. And then if you did play League of Legends, you know, if we're doing a silly mode like tandem mode, you know, you didn't have to technically have an account. You just had to control one way or the other. And so then you were a little bit more open to kind of joining that or doing like, sure. you know, dittos on on fighting game, right? Like Jigglypuff dittos on, on Smash Brothers, right? Where yeah. 
it didn't really matter what it was. It was just for funsies. And so again, I think that's the value there is like at the time again, and it's still kind of changing, but even still like you have that core gamer, right? Like people that think of a gamer, they think of that, you know, that person that doesn't have any friends that is kind of socially inept, that doesn't really like make themselves out there. But then if you put them in a gaming setting, they're like, they're chatty Cathy and they're social butterfly and all that kind of stuff. And so again, I think that's the value there, especially for brands kind of looking in the space is like, yes, you have all of these eyeballs in the professional scene, but it's like, what about all of these other people that are playing the games? And we kind of mentioned that earlier. Absolutely. In this conversation too. Yeah, no, I think you, I think you wrapped that up nicely. I think when you can bring people together, it's a social situation what, what you want to do is target broadly. You want to bring in all gamers together. And then if you if needed, then you can funnel in a little more targeted on the specific games, specific competitive opportunities. But all in all, gamers are gamers. It's a subculture. It's people who want to get together and they just enjoy social interaction and validation. It's exactly, I mean, you look at, you know, you, you bring up skateboarding a lot, right? Yeah. And it, it, it's a subculture of general sports right like it's, it's i would it's say a counterculture like, but yeah and that's what i was just gonna say it, it, it's a counterculture right like it, it and, and i think esports for a lot of ways is is a pseudo counterculture right sure. to entertainment or tra- traditional sports like i praise hyperx for what they do with their we are all gamers campaign yeah to really try to like find non-gaming brand ambassadors to kind of represent their brand yeah again i don't know how many sales hyperx brings in because of that campaign but they're breaking that stereotype that the gamer is this, right? right? But they're like, no, I can play games and I can also like, you know, music or I can like sports or whatever. And, and, and I think that's really the key there is like a, a gamer isn't just this, like they do all. And that, that's what I love so much. I, I love a lot of things about gaming, but that's another thing that I love is just, it's just, it's probably the most inclusive type of, entertainment platforms that I'm aware of, right? Right. That it, it doesn't matter what color you are, you know, if you're fat, if you're short, if you're tall, if you're whatever it is, like you can be in, you can be competitive or not be competitive, but like, you're just there to have a good time. Right. And, and, and at the end of the day, that's all we, we just want validation. We want to feel included. We want to feel heard. And, and I think that's a really great opportunity to do that. Absolutely. Well, very well said, Kai Browning. I appreciate you being on the DLC Drop podcast. It's super inspirational to not only know your career story and how you've helped so many people through gaming, but also what you're currently doing through U.S. Sports Camps. So thank you for joining us. Love to talk to you again sometime soon. Thanks, John. Right on. Thank you for listening to the DLC Drop Podcast. This podcast is part of the Esports Futuri Podcast Network and produced by Innovation Media Enterprises. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast channel and leave us a review.